This podcast is brought to you by Lacrosse All-Stars. Growing the game, one podcast at a time. Hey everybody, welcome to the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. The Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast is about talking to people who have dedicated their life to the game of lacrosse and learning about who they are, how they got to where they are today, and what they do to improve themselves and their teams. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports. And if you're a coach, a parent, or you run a travel or club team, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. It's the essential all-in-one scheduling and communication app for lacrosse coaches and parents. Unlike other team apps, Game Changer Team Manager is free, easy to use, and doesn't serve ads. You can learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager. Today in the show, we have Coach Lars Tiffany. Coach Tiffany is in his second season as the head coach of UVA men's lacrosse. He comes to Virginia with 12 years of coaching experience. He spent 10 years at Brown, his alma mater. His final year at Brown, he led the Bears to a Final Four appearance and a 16-3 and record. During his time at Brown, His teams won an Ivy League title in 2008, 2010, 2015, and 2016. Tiffany was the New England Coach of the Year in 2008, 2009, 2015, and 2016, and he was the Ivy League Coach of the Year in 2015 and 2016. As of the recording of this intro, UVA is currently 6-1. They're ranked 9th in the nation. In this interview, Coach Tiffany and I talk about his journey to becoming a head coach, the lessons he learned along the way, taking over as head coach of UVA, how he's trying to make his team more cohesive, and how he's attempting to make his players smarter on and off the field. Here's my interview with Coach Tiffany. Coach Tiffany, welcome to the show. Joe, it's wonderful to be back with you, and I appreciate you. Uh, Let me jump back with you and talk about Virginia lacrosse. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm really excited, really excited. So let's get started. Uh, how'd, uh, how'd you get started playing lacrosse? Oh, way back when. we uh, <laughs> I was fortunate to grow up in Lafayette, New York, and uh, really one of the uh, sort of traditional hotbeds of lacrosse, Syracuse. But even within Syracuse itself, you start talking about the, uh, the, the, the lands of the uh, Onondagas and uh, of the Iroquois. Being a part of that community that I was growing up with, I was very fortunate to learn the game from an early age from the Aboriginal people, the Onondagas, about how the game is to be played. And so when um, most of us were you know, picking up basketballs and baseball bats, uh, but not lacrosse sticks, in Lafayette, we, were, had a lacrosse, we did have a lacrosse stick in our hands at an early age. Uh, so who were... Um... So right when you started off, who were some of the people that you looked up to? Like, who who are some of your idols at that young age? Yeah, well, certainly anybody wearing the uh, the, the orange and blue, but down in Virginia, up Syracuse, and uh, right. you know, huge, huge Syracuse University athletic fans uh, in our house and throughout our town. So I was always big, big part of um, the um, going to the dome watching the, uh, the football basketball game, especially the lacrosse games. And, uh, right. um, so I can remember uh, the Nelson brothers, uh, 
hmm. who were playing at Syracuse that were fantastic. Brad Cott. Just this really, really exciting for me to watch those guys play. But I will tell you, there was a Virginia alum who grabbed my heart early on. And uh, he and I are now very good friends today, uh, named John Beezer. John yeah. Beezer was a, uh, a long stick middy, and maybe one of the first long stick middies to huh. be truly offensive-minded. And uh, as, a, as a fellow long stick media and defenseman growing up in Lafayette, New York, I, I was completely enthralled by this man who could uh, create such a transition game and create such a much offense with a long stick. Huh. And so how did, how did he affect your game? Uh, did, you, did you watch him on TV? Did you get to know him personally? Like, how did that, how did that progress? He was, uh, he was a, more of a mystery man than anything else. I, I did not see many clips of him back in the, in the 80s. There w- wasn't a lot of video to access. Yeah. Uh, you had to watch somebody live to see him. So I, I didn't see him very much. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get to know him. But um, I was, uh, um, you know, so really just sort of sort of had my game after him. Right. You know, recognizing that, wow, you know, it's okay to really go out and shoot a lot with a pole and work on your sticks with a long stick midi that, you know, it just has to be someone who swings a stick and puts a ball on the ground. But, right. Uh, um, you can be offensive-minded. So I, he, he's the one who spurred on uh, the advancement and development of my stick skills. Hmm. So at what point when you started playing, uh, did you realize that, or did you start thinking that this was something that you wanted to do, you know, into college, like you wanted to take it to the next level? Was it right away or did that happen, you know, after a few years? I think it, to, it took a few years, huh? I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I think we, uh, I certainly grew up wanting to be an NFL football player. And, um, but I was also astute enough to recognize, you know, going into high school that, um, I wasn't getting, wasn't making a, a big splash on the, on the football field and, and in the basketball courts, uh, you know, certainly wasn't growing much anymore. And, right. and, um, you know, I was going to have a lot of fun, but probably wasn't getting a lot of college attention for basketball either. So I, um, so it's focused more so, uh, um, you know, I, I mean, I should say this. I, I played all three sports. I love them all. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I guess, uh, the game would probably have much more meaning because of the, my dad, American friends right. and, uh, growing up with the Onondagas and the cultural significance of the game. And it's a big book. It's just, that's where the attention came from when you became a junior and where they were pretty focused game. So it was a, uh, um, so I never really focused on the cross until college and, uh, just wanted to play all the sports. I played baseball in high school too in summertime so right. um, I just wanted to keep I wanted to play any sport and uh, fortunately I was good enough at one of the four uh, to receive some college attention right right so so what made you uh, make the final decision on Brown uh, boy that was an easy one um, the man I just uh, replaced here at Charlesville Dom Sturgeon was hmm. the Brown head coach and um, you know, as soon as uh, I was in his network and as soon as he was giving me attention, um, I was completely involved you know, with this man and uh, uh, one of the best recruiters ever. And, and certainly had a fantastic product at Brown University. And I was, uh, you know, as soon as I took my official visit, uh, actually February of my senior year, a little later than it happens these days for sure. But uh, right. as soon as I took that official visit, I was I was all in. And uh, huh. um, so it was, uh, it was really really hard to compete. Uh, with Dom Sargent and with Brown University uh, as a combination for, uh, for uh, choosing school. 
Right, right. Yeah, it's undeniable that Coach Starzy is an amazing recruiter. Um, did you feel that uh, it was a fit there right away? Did you feel like he made the right choice right off the bat? Yes, but I will also say that that's sort of that's part of what Brown is, the culture of Brown University, that uh, um, Brown's open curriculum where you're allowed to do whatever you want to do, study what you want to study, not take things you don't want to. Um, Brown's a very open place, and so... Uh, it's, it's, I think it's hard not to fit in there you know, and find your niche. And it's certainly with the, uh, the lacrosse community and, and the team that Don built, um, I felt a very warm and open, accepting group of men. Uh, so, uh, so that was an easy transition. Right, right. So looking back on your on your college career, this is a question that I'm, I'm always interested in asking. Um, you know, if you could do one thing over again, um, looking back on your years at Brown, um, what would it be, if if anything? You know, I think that one thing I would is I wish I had not lived with um, only lacrosse players. Huh. I, uh, and, and, and I hesitate to say that a bit because those are, some, those are my best friends, you know, still to this day. The guys I played lacrosse with at Brown and, and uh, lived with for three years uh, after freshman year. But right. I, know, I look back and regret that I didn't diversify my my Brown experience and didn't spend more time with, uh, with others, with all of us players. Mm. And, uh, so we all lived in the same journey and, and, um, and it was fun. Certainly right. it was a lot of fun. And I got to know those guys really, really well. But, um, think about all the exceptional people at an institution like Brown. And, and uh, I really enjoyed my freshman year where it was just a uh, randomly chosen roommates and, and all mates and, and how many more people I knew and the diversity of people I knew, uh, you know, different academic interests, uh, different backgrounds. Um, I kind of, that's the one regret, you know, just sort of I've segregated myself with, uh, other male football players. Right. Right. And then that's, that's such a hard one for, um, a young college student to, to pick out, right? Like nobody, nobody's really thinking about like, how do I, um, or young kids aren't thinking about how do I get the, uh, the most diversity, the most diversified experience that I possibly can at college, especially when you're going there to play lacrosse, you're thinking about, you know, how can I stay around the team as much, as much as possible, unfortunately. But, uh, I definitely, yeah. And, yeah. and us coaches, us coaches are preaching that, right. We're trying to build this unified, cohesive, tight-knit unit. Right. And, uh, and some of that can come from the residential setting, but, and, and you're also right in terms of you go away to college, you've left home, you've left the nest, and you're unsure about some certain things. We're all trying to find a niche. We're trying to find comfort, and it's right. certainly comforting to be with other people who have similar interests and similar schedules. Right. Um, so that is a hard one. Yeah, and you just you just don't realize how much you grow by putting your by like taking yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit. It doesn't have to be all the time, but every now and then, uh, it definitely helps. Right, 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 exactly. And I wish I'd done that more. Right, right. So, um, so what made you, uh, what made you want to start uh, coaching? I think I was always a coach. I can remember being five or six years old, uh, you know, uh, talking to the TV, staring intently at the NFL game going on, and, and really telling the head coach whether it should be a run or a pass. Huh. And, um, <laughs> and my parents remember reminding me that at age six or seven years old that. I would be crying if my team lost. And uh, they were like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I'm like, my team lost. And <laughs> I was so involved with the game, and I was trying to think the game, even at that age, you know, so simplistically, you know, run or pass the ball. Right. But um, 
So I think it was it's always been in there. And then um, let's fast forward to you know at Brown. I'm graduating from Brown. I want to be a teacher. I, I, I'm hmm. fortunate enough to secure a, a teaching position out in California. Um, but along with that, I was excited to be able to coach as well. And um, I really enjoyed my teaching. I was teaching uh, uh, earth science to ninth graders and, and marine biology to 12th graders. Hmm. And I enjoyed the classroom. I, I really enjoyed the balance of having a classroom and having the uh, the experience on the field right. coaching. And, um, but yeah, I think that that coaching was the coaching bug was in there. Um, so I, I and then I really by accident got involved with college coaching. It's really uh, I was working with um, on the farm back in Syracuse, New York, and my dad's restaurant. And my girlfriend at the time went to Lemoyne College to play. She wanted to be a player for their you know, club team. Well, they had become varsity a year earlier, so it was right. no longer a club team. So you had to be an undergrad. So she couldn't play, but they said, hey, you know, if you want to help coach the team, you know, as soon as we hire a head coach, you know, we'll let her know that you're interested. So, sure. Well, this goes on for a few months. She keeps checking in, no head coach, no head coach. After the third month, she checks in with them. They look at this 23-year-old woman who's never been coached before and ask her to be the head coach of this Division Two. You know, college varsity program. And, uh, she's, uh, uh, she's a bit floored. You know, right. it, it is December though, so Lemoyne needs somebody. You know, uh, <laughs> right. has got to get somebody in this position. Uh-huh. And um, she comes home. You know, and I'm I'm actually trying to take some classes at OCC and Lemoyne as well to get ready to go to vet school. I want to apply to uh, the Cornell Veterinarians mm-hmm. Medical School, and and. Um, she comes home with this concept. I'm like, wow, I really like coaching high school sports, football, and the rest. This sounds like fun. Huh. So sure, let's do it. So uh, <laughs> the two of us are uh, you know, co-head coaches uh, um, for Lemoyne College Women's Lacrosse in 1995. <laughs> and we had a blast. And That's I had so much fun. All of a sudden, I wasn't applying to vet school anymore. Wow. Uh, to, to, that's really how it happened. You know, So that May, about five, six months later, I... I really started thinking about, you know, making this uh, a concerted effort and maybe making it a profession. Huh. Wow. So, so, so tell me about that, that first year coaching. What was, um, what, what were the, I guess, what were the biggest surprises and when did you start thinking like, wow, you know what, this could be something that I want to do, uh, you know, maybe not with the rest of my life, but this could be something that I want to do more going forward. Yeah. I just, I remember really enjoying the recruiting piece of it. Huh. And um, I know that's always, you know, for some people, that's not the most exciting part of it. You know, we love being in practice and love working with men and, uh, or women and, and, and building a team and obviously the games. But I enjoyed the recruiting piece of it. Hmm. And, um, and I, that's obviously integral um, because it's so vital. Right. Um, you know, the NFL and the pro leagues where you draft, there's very little of that. You know, sure, you, get, you want to get to know the, the people that you're potentially drafting. But. Um, when you when you call their name, they don't really have much of a choice. Right. So, I um I, I enjoy that knowing that this is really important and vital to building a team and and um so that that first year plus on the field, I found myself having uh, having a tremendous amount of fun and I give a lot of credit to those those original women of the Lemoyne College lacrosse. You know that was a uh, a brand new program huh. and um, so these were women who Maybe I hadn't been playing lacrosse their whole life, right? Um, but but it was important to their life at that point. That's for mm-hmm. sure. And and um, 
so they were coming out with great energy, real really positive, and and you know, I, you know, not that winning or losing was vital to job security or the program continuing, but you know, we went eight and three, and you know, we we won we won a bunch of games, and I was really really enjoying it, and right. um, so Denise and I, my girlfriend and I, you know, you know, just had a great year, and uh, I think at that point I said, okay, well, if this is something I really want to do. I wonder if I could join the men's team. And so I was fortunate enough when Shane Lynch was hired that summer, mm-hmm. um, despite being like his 15th choice, uh, that he, <laughs> he finally relented and let me be his assistant coach. <laughs> wow. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. So can you tell me what exactly was it about recruiting that you like so much? Was it just like the, the meeting new people or trying to convince them to come that you're the right choice? Like what about it really, really spoke to you? My my recruiting style is a bit more methodical and slower hmm. than most. And um, what I learned early on was to get to know the person, and, I, and that's obvious. Everyone always says that. But are you going to take the time to do it? Mm-hmm. And um, and most recruiters don't. And sometimes I haven't. But I felt like it was a timetable was rushed and had to get to know this person in you know two minutes and then make an offer in 10 minutes but right um <laughs> I, I really like to be slower methodical with the process and so i just asking a lot of questions yeah here are these you know some very talented athletes and um you know getting to know them better and, and uh why you know why they play the game and what what what, what drives them what, what are they passionate about in the classroom hmm. and um and then you know, a bit of a it's a challenge. You know, right. a, obviously, when I've been at some schools where maybe we wouldn't be the obvious first choice, um, I'm fortunate now to be at Virginia where we oftentimes are person's first choice, even if right. they've never visited, right? Right. Um, right. And so, uh, but, you know, the challenge, you know, can we, could we, uh, in my former days, uh, could we, could we out-recruit a, a Virginia-type program, hmm. you know, that has uh, many of the benefits? And so I enjoyed that challenge, uh, but it was really about getting another person and hmm. maybe figuring out the pieces of, you know, of what do we have that, that could work for what they're looking for, their college experience, what do they want to have and what do they need to have, the differences between those two things and, and, uh, and putting the pieces together. Right. You know, I don't think this is the right place. You know, mm. you're talking about architecture and, and we're, we're just, we don't, we're just not great at it, you mm. know, and I think you have a better experience at a place uh, that will accommodate you more. So I've just right. uh, really always enjoyed getting to know, uh, uh, really motivated and uh, talented people. Right, right, right. So, is your um, does the process go basically where like you've identified a few people, a few players that look like they might be the type of player that you want on your team, and then the next step is, you know what, I'm going to learn about them as much as I can to make sure that they're going to be a fit in our program and also that they're going to be happy here. Yes. So critical, and I certainly appreciate this more as I get older, that relationships that we will have within the team, you know, a lot of people call it chemistry, you know, or the culture. It's so vital. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're not going to get it right every time, that's for sure. But um, we're seeing it right now in Virginia, how different a team we are from year one to year two, because we focus so much on our relationship building. Right. And, um, and we've, you know, we've lost some men, you know, not only to graduation, but to, um, you know, just there's been some dropout, you know, right. just didn't fit, didn't fit the culture, didn't fit the work ethic. Hmm. Um, and so, um, 
so the group of men that we have now is um, you know we really are creating a, a, a cohesive unit that's uh, and we really didn't have that we had a lot of talent and a lot of great men last year I mm-hmm. really miss those guys mm-hmm. but as a unit uh, we're tighter right now so so yeah I've always tried to do that over throughout the career trying to find those those right people and um, and, and again sometimes we've taken chances on guys you were a little unsure about because mm-hmm. um, maybe the talent was was great or maybe like all right you made a mistake as a junior in high school you know we all make some mistakes do we over do we overlook it you know mm-hmm. and try to talk to the person and, and see if this is uh you know if they're, if they're worthy of a second opportunity but um yeah it's a um yeah there's no and again not an exact science uh, the, the recruiting as college coaches but uh I, I enjoy the challenge of it right 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 so so tell me about tell us about your first year coaching at your alma mater, what what was that like? You know, I, I know I skipped a lot of schools in between, but uh, I am really yeah. curious about what that first year was like uh, going back to the school that you played at. Oh my God, huge smile on my face. We didn't win <laughs> enough. Uh, we I think we went five hundred or eight and seven. Yeah, we went eight and seven. Hmm. But um, but besides the win loss record, boy, it was a uh, what a wonderful year. What a just uh, um, I'm sure people walking if I was touring and recruiting family around, they were. Sick and tired of my stories because I was. They just want to know what's what. I'm, I'm, I'm going like I'm getting all nostalgic on them. Oh right. gosh, I took, you know, I took chemistry in this building. Oh gosh, I met this girl right, right around the corner there. And, you know, and that's, right. I'm sure, like whatever. But uh, you know, for me, it was so wonderful to, mm-hmm. uh, as an alum, to be back there as a coach, and and uh, it was a fantastic ten year experience. And um, I, uh, I'm very, very lucky to have had that experience. And uh, there's no question it's uh, Brown. I think I'll I think I'll always leave Brown first. Um, <laughs> right. You know, I grew, I grew up leading Orange of Syracuse, and I now I now coach a different Orange. Um, <laughs> you know uh, that I'm a hundred percent passionate about. But I think truly deep inside, um, it'll always be Brown, uh, and um, so I'm really lucky to have spent ten years after college. There. Right. So. Those those first couple of years at Brown, uh, I, I think you said you went 500. But if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if I remember correctly, each year after that was was an improvement. You guys got better and better. And obviously, uh, uh, your last year there, you guys were uh, you, you were in the Final Four. Um, what what do you attribute to that improvement? Right, like what is uh, what would you say you're trying to do to improve the team year after year? Yeah, it's recruiting. I mean, I, mm. it's the obvious answer, but I, I'll reinstate it because there was a point where after a couple of years at Brown, we had, we started having some success and these were, you know, those majority of those first couple of teams were Scott Nelson's mm-hmm. and recruits. Right. And, um, and so we're having success and we're starting to bring our own guys and still having some success. And I can remember having the misconceived thought that, hey, just get us good ball players and we can make them great ball players. You know, our mm-hmm. system's really working here at Brown. We've got um, how we develop individual players and then how we bring those individual players into the, into the collective, into the team perspective of the offense and defense and rising players. You know, we're, we're, um, we, do a really, we do a good job of that. And I was, mm-hmm. I was overconfident, overcocky. Right. I was cocky. And, uh, huh. and I just just recognized, as you saw a couple of years after the initial success, where we, we had a dip, and uh, we weren't we weren't a fantastic team, 
and um, it was it was a sledgehammer to the face. Like, well, you're no better coach than anyone else out there. Mm. You know, uh, you know, you're not this incredible motivator. You got to recruit. Mm. You got to you got to get the best. You got to get the best players. And um, and so we just refocus on that. And uh, we were fortunate to have some successful years in the recruiting process. And that's what came out. You saw in those last couple of years of Brown in 2014, 15, and 16, you saw some teams really, really uh, improve. And right. um, you saw some teams that were uh, uh, could be explosive at the offensive end of the transition game. And um, so we were, it's, it's, it's all about that, along mm-hmm. with, you know, making sure you put in good teams and, um, right. and developing your talent and creating that culture. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was... Um, I, I, when I evaluate a program, mostly ourselves, but if I assess someone else's program, you know, the three pillars: you know, how good is your recruiting? Mm-hmm. Um, how what do you do? What do you do with those recruits? Your player development, and then what's your schemes? What do you what do you, uh, are you are you are you good with your sixty six and your man up man down? So how do you how do you fit those players into the systems? Hmm. Um, so those are the three pillars, but there's an umbrella over all that over those three pillars, you know, right. and that's the mindset, you know, what, what are you creating? What's the mindset? What's the culture? Uh, is it a program that's, uh, individualistic, uh, or is it cohesive? Is mm-hmm. it, uh, are, are people allowed to do their own thing or are, can you hold people accountable? Well, mm-hmm. each other with a man within a program, hold each other accountable. So that's, that's the biggest thing though. That first step of recruiting is the most important step. Right. So you, you touched on this a little earlier, but I'm curious if you can go a little deeper when you are recruiting, um, you know, an individual player, are you looking for, uh, what would you say is more important that you're, that the kid is a, that it, he looks like a very talented player, but he will definitely fit into your team scheme. Or are you saying this is the most talented player that I think I can get? Um, I'm pretty sure we can get him into the scheme. You know, what's more important? Is it the individual talent or the fit within the university and the team itself? Well, I'm fortunate to be here, not the University of Virginia. So we can, we as a staff with Kip Turner um, and uh, Rocco Romero and Sean Kerwin, we can be selective. Mm -hmm. So we get to, you know, there's got to be the initial wow factor. Mm -hmm. You know, the analogy of, you know, an attractive uh, woman or man, depending on your interest, walks by and like, whoa, you know, wow, you know, sort of steals your attention away from whatever you were doing. Uh-huh. You know, I go to a lacrosse game or a lacrosse field and say, whoa, that was different. What's that guy? Who is that guy? <laughs> and, um, you know, so there's got to be that wow factor. Mm-hmm. And um, and so then you watch a little bit more. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and for the ones you want to pursue, it's like, wow, okay, this is, he's got the tools, whether it's an offensive skill set or a defensive mindset and skill set that we're looking for, that's, that's somebody we need to pursue. And mm-hmm. then finding out those other things. Who right. is this person? Mm-hmm. You know, what's this person like off the field? What's a, what's this high school coach for the football team he plays for and the lacrosse team? So what do they say about him? What do they say about him as a leadership, as leadership skills? What do they say about it being accountable? Right. Um, and what's his grades? You know, I've, I've really seen a parallel directly direct correlation between success on the field and success in the classroom and and um and i'm not saying straight a's but i'm saying you try you put in the effort that you care about you put your name on something top of a piece of paper you know or jersey on your uniform or whatever you you try to win are you trying to are you trying to be the best right um or do you do things in this planet where uh, a half-ass effort's okay 
mm-hmm. or your best is okay, or even not so not your best is okay. And that's we're, we're trying to set this filter those guys out. Right. And um, you know, we want to see people who want to be great at everything they put their attention towards. And I'm not saying they're great at everything. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you pick up the violin and decided it wasn't for you, then that's fine. Yeah. Yes, you know, don't pick up the violin again. That's right. okay. But <laughs> once you once you committed to something, you know, once you committed to you know, the, the wrestling uh, mats, you know, mm-hmm. or the chemistry, you know, or uh, whatever, you know, and then you put your mind to being, and you keep, you be the best you can be. So right. we're looking for that mindset. And right. So it's um, so because that culture, that team piece of it, um, is really critical. And then right. something I stole from. Uh, Greg Popovich, the uh, really successful NBA coach of the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah. Even though it's a draft, they do some recruiting because there's you know, trades mm-hmm. and uh, and they want to interview the guys that made draft. They look for a sense of humor. I remember like, huh. wow. And then he really justified in this article I read about it. They want guys who aren't too full of themselves. And sometimes these guys, uh, you don't have a sense of humor. You know, maybe maybe one of the reasons for that is it's just you know, it's too self-centered, you know, and uh, yeah. it's all about you. Um, you know, a guy who can laugh at himself. Right. You know, that can make a mistake and, uh, you know, or, you know, just enjoy being around other people and right. uh, and laugh and, you know, and make themselves a bit vulnerable, you know, hmm. in, in a fun, you know, in a fun sort of way. So there's some, 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 some validity to that that I've picked up on. Right, right. I, I like that a lot. Um, so... You know, you started talking about, you know, now you're at UVA, you're getting a little bit more selective. Um, talk about, you know, you had your first year there. Talk about what, how did you approach that first season? What, what was your, I guess, for lack of a better term, what was your goal for that first year? Um, what were you trying to establish? Learn. I wanted to learn as much as I could. And I actually mm-hmm. borrowed this uh, mindset from Dom. Dom mm-hmm. Sarge his first year at UVA was um, very sort of collective in information. And I did the same thing. I uh, certainly started implementing the way we coached the game on the field. Um, but in a lot of ways, I took a step back and just saw the operations hmm. and how the University of Virginia Athletic Department works, um, how the support staff do their jobs, whether it's the sports psychologists, hmm. nutritionists, the filmers, the athletic trainers, the weight room staff, so many, you know, successful programs here have benefited from our support staff. And I, I, I didn't want to come in like a bull in a china shop changing everything. I wanted to learn. Right. And so I, I really enjoyed year one of learning. And then from there, that summer, summer of 17, sitting down and really assessing it and saying, okay, hmm. these, are what, these are the strengths of this, of this department. What does this program need? What do we need to change our focus on to take advantage of these strengths? How do we want to approach this differently in the future? So, hmm. so year one was learning it, and year two is uh, is much more dynamic in terms of now really sort of putting a, um, the stamp of how we want this program to operate in year two. Right, right. So I, I do want to talk about year two, but can you talk a little bit about what were some of those biggest surprises, you know, in the summer of 2017 when you're looking back on that first season, what were some of the biggest surprises that you weren't expecting from your first year at UVA? Well, I think the, um, I wish I had that list in front of me because I had about 35 things on that list. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the biggest ones that come down my head, is, you know, the, you know, certainly the, the, the temperature of the locker room were mm-hmm. uh, some very, very talented players and mm-hmm. some good men. 
but we didn't have a cohesiveness in that locker room in my first year. Hmm. And um, I did not do a good job of bringing them together. And, um, and so that was certainly something I knew we had to attack here too. Hmm. Um, uh, when I think about, you know, what, what's the overlying image of Virginia lacrosse going to be? You know, with Dom, who won four national championships and so successful here, um, it was the mindset of win your matchup and let's go run the opposing team out over. Let's run them out of the stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, we are trying to change that to can we be a smarter team along with winning those matchups? You know, obviously we're very fortunate to have some alpha males here, but can we <laughs> have a more cerebral, intelligent team defense? Can we understand the game at a higher level? And um, and so that's been a big shift with how we teach the game going into year two and trying to create that because we found in year one we weren't able to uh, um, we weren't able to sort of get to the second or third slide team or second or third offensive offensive set hmm. successfully um, and have comprehension of it. We right. didn't teach it well enough, and we just recognized that the men weren't trained to, um, you know, to, to digest as much information as we were trying to give it to them. Right. right. So really sort of saying, can we... Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. So, yeah, so it's just really trying to change that. You know, what's the, uh, what does it mean to be a Virginia lacrosse player and which a Virginia lacrosse team? We're going to be you know, shifting it to being more uh, cerebral mm-hmm. and uh, to being a smarter team. So two questions from what you're saying. Um, one, you mentioned that, uh, you know, looking back, uh, you sort of felt like you uh, didn't do the best job bringing the team together during the first year. Can you talk about what you're doing to sort of correct that? Like, what are the things that you do to make your team a little bit more of a cohesive unit? We have, uh, we've really gone full tilt on creating opportunities for the men to talk hmm. and to share their ideas and to build a greater ownership of this program. And the vehicle that we've done that through is these 30 minute discussions of readings hmm. uh, that we've provided and shared. So one book in particular that we've leaned on heavily is legacy written by James Kerr. Uh, and it's about the, uh, the New Zealand rugby team, the all blacks. And it's a fantastic book for building a culture, whether it's with a business, um, an organization, or certainly a team. Hmm. And um, we've, for example, would provide one of the 20 chapters to the men uh, the night before, ask them to read it. We come together in a classroom setting at UVA. And then I talk for a very, very short period of time, like maybe three sentences. Hmm. And then... All right, fellas, into your groups of five or six and talk about the points that really resonated for you and um, and then report back. And hmm. so they often running for five to ten minutes, uh, a lot of talk in the room, and then they report back. And I have been astounded, very, very pleasantly surprised and happy about how well they um, have embraced this and how much they're enjoying the opportunity to talk and then can make the comparisons between the All Blacks and Virginia men's lacrosse. Wow. And it's, you know, for example, I'll be on one group, 
and someone from that group will stand up and represent their views. And as he's sitting down, as I'm looking to the next group, someone's already standing up. I, it's not, huh. not what I thought, like, oh, hey, all right, so, come on, somebody has to report. Right. They're just eagerly jumping up, jack in the box. Hey, this is what we talked. This is what we talked about. Hmm. And this is how it relates to us. And, and it's, uh, it's been tremendously rewarding. Hmm. And I really think it's helped. Now, maybe our man up hasn't gotten as much attention because we're sitting in, you know, in a classroom for 30 minutes talking about sacrifice, right. you know, or adapting or mm-hmm. finding a purpose, you know, the different chapters uh, that we've utilized in Legacy and some other readings, but mm-hmm. um, it's, it's really working. And mm-hmm. I can tell that the, uh, the cohesiveness and the unity in the locker room is much different this year. Mm. And do you see uh, some of those things that you talk about? Do you see those things? Uh, like, do you see the men talking about it during practice or, you know, in a game? Like, do you see those lessons being related back to like the real world experience of UVA lacrosse? I, I am. I haven't necessarily seen it or, or heard it on the field, but I've seen it in some of our team meetings hmm. where maybe we're talking a defensive team meeting and we're watching the film. And now, you know, you know, Joe, you, you missed a slide there. And in the past, maybe we stay quiet about it, but right. can we talk about it? Can, can there, can, can some, someone who's maybe the end of the bench hold you accountable for something you didn't do well? Hmm. And, um, and are you, are, and can you do you have a strong enough uh, you know uh, resolve to be able to deal with that? Hmm. You know that someone saying, hey, you know you keep missing that slide. You got to get that. Right. You know, the other day in, in film we were watching and and um, you know it's hard to see, you know, say, hey, why is this happening? Well, why is this crease open? And you know it can be nice to each other and pat each other on the back and be best friends, or you know sometimes you hold each other down. Hmm. Well, you know we need you to go. You know somebody said, hey, we need more communication from the goalies. They got to tell us is the ball back left, is the ball back right. Hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that's not easy to say, but Hey, goalies, we're going to hold you accountable. We right. need your voice. Right. And the goalies being said, you're right. All right. We'll be louder. We'll be more firm. We'll hmm. be more clear. And, and so those are the uncomfortable conversations. Hmm. But if we can do that and know that it's all just because we're trying to make the team better, it's not a personal attack. And if you can, you know, uh, you know, not, you know, get your hair in a feather, you know, or, you right. know, and, and be all concerned. Like, Oh my God, he said so-and-so and so-and-so said this. And no, no, cut all that. Right. Cut all the gossip out. Right. We're trying to make this better. Right. You know, we're all sacrificing. And so it's a, um, um, it, it's something that we're working on and we're not there yet, but if mm-hmm. we can truly hold each other accountable and, and, and not worry about the sort of as taking it personal, then we'll, we'll build a better team. Right. Right. I like that. I love that a lot. Um, so you also mentioned that one of your goals is you're trying to make the team a little bit more cerebral um, on the field. And, and you mentioned specifically with defense. How are you doing that? How, how do you approach that challenge? The, the, the thing that I'm doing is, do, is less. Hmm. I could sit in front of the men in a film session, the defense and lecture, provided as if I'm a professor providing a lecture. I could instead make it more like the Socratic method and make it more interactive hmm. and said, okay, for example, we're playing uh, Drexel soon. You know, hey, okay, here's Drexel's offense. How do we defend it? Right. How would, how, how we, how we deal with this crease motion that they're doing? How are we going to deal with number three? And hmm. giving them a voice and giving them a sense of ownership in this, 
We did this at Brown. We called it Think Tank at Brown on Tuesdays. It was Think Tank. You know, they provided reasons why, you know, we would slide a certain way or why we shouldn't do this. And, 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 and there were days I already knew what we were going to do. But I wanted them to go through the thought process of why I finally said, you know, what we should slide adjacent here instead of crease. Why? And right. just to get them thinking that way. And so in our bunker, we call it here at UVA, mm-hmm. you know, instead of just being a lecture style, make it in an interactive style, step two. Now, my next step, Joe, is step three, mm-hmm. is now it's you're writing a paper, you know, a 10-page term paper. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to make you come in and you do the clips. You cut the clips and you tell me why you cut those clips. Huh. What, what did we do wrong in that one? And so, can I get, I haven't got to that third step yet. Right. But that's a part of the process of making it a more cerebral team. Right. Right. And have you, I'm just curious, have, uh, have any of the strategies changed because of what you've heard the players say? Uh, not yet, but we're getting there. Yeah. Hmm. Not right. yet, but we're getting there. Right. And uh, um, we got there at Brown. Right. Uh, one man in particular, Larkin Kemp, was fantastic at it. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So good at it, I started doubting myself as a defensive coordinator because he was bringing up <laughs> points that I hadn't seen. And I'm starting to think, wow, maybe he should be the defensive coordinator. Right, um, right. And, um, <laughs> but we're starting to get there. We're right. getting there. And it's really, really rewarding for me. And uh, it really makes me happy when those, you know, and I see that some of the men are getting there. And uh, those aha moments. Right. You know, I... Here's one thing I'm really curious about. Can you maybe walk us through how you've sort of set those goals, right? Like how did you decide that those were the right things to focus on, right? Like you've you look back at the season, you say, you know, here are one or two problems that we had from this year, and here are the things that we're going to do to improve it or solve those problems in year 2. Can you walk me through or walk us through that thought process of what you're going to do to actually solve those individual problems? Yeah, and, and we certainly don't have all the answers. Right. And we, um, there's, there's a lot a lot more to do here. So kind of focus in on, all right, what do we attack year two? What, um, what can we address right now? There's certain things we can't address right now, um, such as facilities and facility enhancements that, that we need here. Uh, but what can, what can we make a difference with right now with what we have at our disposal? Mm-hmm. And so um, certainly changing the way that men think about the game, creating that more cerebral lacrosse player and lacrosse team, something we knew we had to do and we could we could impact right away. And so that meant, okay, we got to spend more time in a film room. We have to spend mm-hmm. more time talking the game, showing film, making show is not just a lecture style, but it's more an interactive style, as we mentioned. Mm-hmm. The other phase that we talked about, too, is the culture. How do we create the culture that, if in place, um, will be indomitable? Mm-hmm. I, uh, I had, had a very good friend of mine um, challenge me years, years ago when I first became a head coach. Create a staff that is put together and interacts with each other in the most positive, uh, constructive way would put your old staff out of business. Hmm. And I was like, it was a really great challenge. And I think it's a business question and a, and a, and a business challenge, but it really made me think, okay, all right, well, I got to put the best, put together the best staff possible, but well, how do I utilize 
how do we communicate to each other? Are we comfortable criticizing each other? Hmm. Are we, are we, do we have thick enough skin that my offensive coordinator can tell me, well, I know you've been promoting this on the defensive end, but I can expose that. I think your opponents are going to expose that. Mm-hmm. Can we talk and be comfortable with suggestions from each other and not take it personal? And then, so along those lines, can, how do we, how do we build that within the team? How do the men communicate each other on a successful team, on a team that would beat last year's team easily? Mm-hmm. Because no matter what the score was at halftime, you know, um, this 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 new team that we created has a mindset of, oh, we're going to take care of this. Don't worry, we're going to we're going to keep working. We're committed to each other. It's a sense of ownership. It's we we are going to take care of this, right? And, uh, and move forward. So, really focus. I think we focus on those two things the most mm-hmm. in this uh, from year one to year two. So can you, uh, I want to, I want to move on and maybe focus a little bit about how you guys, uh, run your practice. So, uh, you know, talking in season, not off season, can you walk us through a typical in season practice for you guys? Sure. We are a two hour practice time. Um, the first 15 minutes, coach Kerwin's got the offensive personnel at one end. Coach Turner has the goalies at the other end. Face-off men are uh, on the sideline. And then the defensive personnel, we're in the middle of the field. Uh, those first 15 minutes is pre-warm-up. So this is not 100% engagement and physical training. This is more cerebral. Again, trying to build a smarter team. Let's spend the first 15 minutes going, reviewing slide schemes within drills. So well, for my defensive groups, I'll have four imaginary goals with four men at each imaginary goal. And I'm like, okay, let's work on a four-man slide scheme, whether, let's say, it's a perimeter adjacent slide or a cross-crease slide. Mm-hmm. And so if you watch this, you'd be like, wow, what's going on out there? You've got, you got 16 guys in groups of four, you know, kind of running around, rotating, but yelling and screaming, I'm hot. Mm-hmm. You know, who's my two? You know, and, mm-hmm. you know, and communicating all this stuff. And we're just doing three minutes of that. And it, it, it's a bit boring, you know, maybe, or you'd say, wow, it's really repetitive, but, we are hammering home our communication of our size hmm. and, uh, and how the rotation patterns work. And so those first two to 15 minutes, there'll be some stick handling that are specific to defense. Meanwhile, Coach Kerwin's doing things specific to offense. Mm-hmm. It could be individual fundamental dodging things that we need to get better at, or it could be the big 66 picture as you bring on some skeleton offense and going through some plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coach Turner is working with his goalies on fundamentals and, and key skills that they need to hone in and sharpen. And so that's really the positional training and the, the acumen, the, that, that mental acumen development time. Mm-hmm. Bam, uh, dynamic warm-up for seven minutes, right into a fundamental of the day for three minutes after the dynamic warm-up, the fundamental of the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, it could be, it's usually two guys, me and you, partners. Okay, we're going to go uh, work on our defensive holds. So I'm going to work on my my fist hold or my V hold against you. And then, you know, then you do it against me. And we do this for three minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, it could be stick work. You know, we're doing some uh, steel slip passing. You and I, you kind of, you sort of come to set a take, but then you slip quickly. And I throw you that six yard call. Mm-hmm. So we're going to slip passing or through passing. Or we're working on our, on our hot and two talk. You're saying you're hot. I'm you too. You know, you can go. I got you. You got me good. And we're just talking. And mm-hmm. again, it's what I have found as I've become an older coach is I get more back, we do more of the basics. I think I assumed the basics and the fundamentals when I was a younger coach. And mm-hmm. some of them, some of the men had them and some didn't. Nowadays, 
I just we hammer the fundamentals over and over and over again. Right. And uh, that's bang, fundamental today. From there, um, oftentimes the next 15 minutes is stations, three stations, two of the goal, one in the middle of the field, typically face offs or some sort of ground ball. Split the team up into groups, into three groups, random. You know, defense in each group, attack in each group, maybe each group. At one end of the field, Romano said we're working on crease, uh, on crease work, guarding increase, attacking increase. The other end, uh, we're working on, um, you know, a 3v2 sort of a zone offense, defense sort of wing thing. And the middle of the field, we're doing live face offs. Mm-hmm. After five minutes, whistle blows, everyone rotates. Except the face off guys, they stay where they are. And it always. And, um, and so it allows us to work on the small parts of the 6v6. Maybe it's a 2v2 or a 3v2 portion of a 6v6 or man up. Mm-hmm. So we'll hammer home more of those smaller pieces of the big picture in the station work. And so that, that covers about the first 40 to 45 minutes of almost every practice. That would be the template. If you, if you came to a, a Virginia lacrosse play at practice, you would, you would, and then you came back, you would see the, the resemblance of a template uh, right. that is almost always there. Right. And then from there, the next hour and 20 minutes is really, well, what are we focusing on? Are we playing oh, it's more of a full field day? Are we working on running clearing and scrimmaging and sub- substitutions? Or is it more of a half field day? We're doing more 66 and man up. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and emphasizing those things. Right. So how, how are you guys, when you guys are doing the, you know, the remaining hour, hour and 20 minutes, how are you deciding what you guys are going to work on? Is that more based off of, you know, are you more focusing on what you guys need to improve or is it more based off of, you know, who your upcoming opponent is? Um, or is it a mixture? Yeah. of the two? Great question. So the typical pattern for us is Mondays is all us. Mondays is Mondays is all about us. And so we get out there and practice and teams and just completely who we are. And uh, after the team lifts, then we watch the film of the previous Saturday game, put it away. Hmm. Tuesdays, we've, we are light. We are very light on Tuesdays. And um, it's one, it's our, again, we've committed to this cultural development. So we're doing a little less practice time. And that's hmm. on Tuesdays. Right. Um, so we'll have about a 40, 45 minute session with the culture, um, along with a 40 to 45 minute session with what I was talking about, the think tank, the bunker, where now the offenses of the, the coach grow and the defenses of me. And now we're watching a lot of film, half, about half of ourselves. And then we're also, we're starting to take a peek at the, the opponent. And this is where starting to assess and develop their thinking skills. And again, if I, I don't want to be a lecturer. I want mm-hmm. it to be more interactive and where they start coming up with, oh, okay, yeah, Drexel does this really well. Maybe we should slide this way or not slide this way. And, and so that's Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wednesday, full field. Wednesday's a full field day. I kind of like the idea of split up the week up. That Wednesday's almost like a game day. Now we're going to get up and down the field, scrimmage, working on riding and clearing, full field transition drills, flying up and down the field. Let's get the game. Right. Thursday, now it's technical. All right, what's our 66 offense? What's our 66 defense against this opponent? Mm-hmm. And, um, and really think about the opponent and what they do and how we counteract it. And, um, and then Friday's fundamental Friday. This one has not changed. Uh, started doing this a few years ago. If you saw a Friday practice, it is really back to the basics. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of positional work, defensemen working on footwork and holds, attackmen working on dodging, 
Right. A lot of skilled shooting. Um, there's some review. There's some 66. There's a little bit of man up, man down to hone in on what the on tomorrow's game is. But it is really as many balls in the air as possible, as many touches as possible. And um, just that stems from some <laughs> over the years. Sometimes you, don't, you just don't play well on Saturday and thinking, wow, did we get too cerebral? Were we thinking too too much? <laughs> right, <laughs> and, right. You know, sometimes, you know, you can, have, you can have a pretty good game plan, but if you can't pass and catch or you're not hitting the cage, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, so, you know, this is uh, this is one question. I, I don't think I've asked a coach yet, but I, I'm when I thought of it, I'm really curious about it. How do you, as a head coach, approach an upcoming opponent? Like, what what are you looking at? What are you preparing for? Is it mostly focused on your team? Are you thinking about how you're going to react to their certain defensive, offensive schemes? What's going through your head? Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, I'm always thinking about the opponent and what they do well and how they're going to attack us as a defensive coach. You know, I'm always how they're going to um, try to score goals on us and so I'm always in a uh, sort of a reactive mode initially, mm-hmm. and uh, um, so I spent a lot of time that week trying to think about all right, what's the best way to slide against this team? Are we early slide? Are we late slide? Are we do we go to an invert defense if they, if they bring a short stick defender behind the goal? Mm-hmm. Do we employ the zone? Do we not employ the zone? And um, and um, because I do think there's got to be a substantial amount of that. Yes, in the end of the day, all of us coaches end up standing up there. Hey, it's all about us. <laughs> we got to do what we do. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I think there's that's the balance, and I think that's the the cerebral part that we're trying to bring to the team. Is first of all the the uh, the academics, mental comprehension of what our schemes are. Mm-hmm. But then we'll take that next level if we can really understand what our opponent's trying to do. Um, you know, for example, we had a moment last week where. We're talking to the team about, you know, uh, do we do we go into our invert defense against our next opponent? And um, you know, we're still learning here. So there was a there was the point was being made by several men. Well, well, our last opponent couldn't really run by us and beat us, you know, from behind the goal. So why do we need to fall into a, you know, some sort of invert zone defense? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we had to make the point as a staff. Well, they, they couldn't run by and beat us because we were in an invert zone defense. They, they right. knew we were in an invert zone defense, so they weren't trying to run by us. They were trying to, you know, find the open guy in that zone defense. Right. You know? and, right. Uh, right. and so, so, so that's where we are right now. We're still in that maturation phase of, of, you know, learning more about who we are, knowing our schemes. And then we'll hopefully take the next step of understanding, oh, that's why they did that. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And so then we can just continue to grow from all this. Right. And as a, you know, as a head coach that is defensive minded, um, what is your, uh, for, for lack of a better way to ask this, um, how much control are you giving up to say the offensive side or, you know, for how much control do you give up to Kip to worry about the goalies? Like, are, are you, letting them take complete control or do you still have your own input? Uh, how, how does that, how does that work for you guys? Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's the million dollar question. It's, <laughs> it's the most important question, Joe, because we've all been assistants. All mm-hmm. the head coaches were assistants at one point and, um, we all wanted that ownership. We wanted our end of the field or our position, you know, and, and, uh, if you ever had a head coach, you usurp your authority. 
um, you know, how destructive that can be. And so right. it's, it's vital as a head coach to ensure that your assistants uh, understand their role and let them fulfill that role mm-hmm. until they truly, truly prove otherwise. And, you know, hopefully you can wait till the end of the season and then just replace them. But um, <laughs> I'm fortunate to have great assistants. And, um, and, um, and I, I have also learned, because, you know, as a younger coach, I may have been meddling, you know, hey, I got a great offensive play for you, you know, <laughs> hey, yeah, right. you know, on a Monday morning, hey, I was just dreaming up something, and I think this would be outstanding. I've, 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 I've tried to stop that. I, I'm not saying I'm 100% perfect. Right. You know, because they still come up with some things. I'm like, wow, I really struggled to defend this, you know. Huh. Maybe we should run this play, you know. Right. But, uh, it's a, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I am fortunate because, you know, I've got one of the best goalie coaches uh, anywhere in the world, uh, right. Richard Turner, and he's a fantastic players coach, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Sean Kerwin's uh, one of the, the youngest and best offensive coordinators in the country. So right. I, um, I am, I don't feel like I need to, but I also know that I, I, I should. It's really important. Uh, you know, if I want to walk into a, uh, a team meeting, if I want to just walk in the office, you know, on Wednesday morning, I want guys who are, you know, they've they've organized their own meetings with the individuals, and you know they've organized their own little parts of the practice right. when it's their time, and they're engaged. And this whole thing's going to operate better if, if you know, if I just uh, if I let them go, if right. I let them be, and know that. I, uh, now I'll ask questions, but mm-hmm. you know, um, but if I just let them go with it, and sometimes I know that something may work or may not. But I was fortunate to be given that rope too when I was at Penn State under Glenn Deal. I was able to experiment with a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. You know that I, you know whether whether what really well or really bad, I learned from it. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So uh, a couple of final questions about recruiting before I let you go. Uh, you know, for the young players that are listening, or even for the younger coaches as well. How uh, how do you recommend uh, you know these days that young players get noticed? Right. Well, fortunately, the recruiting legislative piece that we passed recently has taken away a lot of the anxiety for the right. seventh, eighth and ninth grade moms and dads and, and boys and girls. Right. So the fact that it doesn't matter how good you are until September one of your junior year is incredibly, incredibly liberating for right. all of us. Coaches, right. families, recruits. Um, so I'm ecstatic about that. So, so we don't have to worry about that. So, so you can therefore spend the majority of your time just focusing on the um, – um, on just being a better, better lacrosse player. Mm-hmm. Just focus on enjoying the game. And then, you know, when you're going into your junior year, that sophomore summer, um, now it does really matter. Okay, where do I get to be seen? You know, and there's some great elite travel teams that um, – you know, we'll certainly provide more exposure. And, um, you know, I, I, I almost begrudgingly admit that um, being a part of them does draw more attention. You get more, they get more eyeballs right. because of guys like me who are, you know, we are spending more time watching uh, some of those, those, those club teams, right. those elite events. So, so if you can get on one of those teams, that can be tremendously helpful. Um, the, um, the prospect camps and clinics, um, I caution people on. You know, it's, it's somebody gave this analogy to me, and I've I've borrowed it. Um, that where you're 
do you do you look at it as um, as like a, buying an individual stock? If you, if you just go to the Virginia Lacrosse Camp Prospect Clinic, you know I'm I'm happy. You know right. that makes me happy, and I get 120 boys run around for a day, mm-hmm. and that's great. It's great for my uh, recruiting. Um, it helps fund our staff um, with a few extra bucks. But you know you've only been exposed to one school that day. You know, and uh, I just worry that. You know, if you want the mutual fund exposure, you know, you go to the summer camps where there's a lot of different colleges, coaches represented there. And, um, you know, for example, like at New England 150 up, the, up in Portsmouth, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. you know, with all the different Division three programs and other schools represented. So, it's, um, so yeah, so I'm, um, yeah, I think they're, uh, it, 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 is, it is a great question. The video, video can help. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly recommend that people, uh, you know, don't, you know, it doesn't need to be more than three or four minutes long. Um, I guess the exercise doesn't hurt you, but right. a lot of us coaches, we're making a decision in the first minute, mm-hmm. you know, in that first minute, you better not save the best for last, you know, hit us, <laughs> right. hit us over the head with your best highlights in those first 45 seconds to 60 seconds. If you think we're going to keep watching more, right. Um, because honestly we get a lot of those yep. and, uh, we might see a hundred a month. You know, mm-hmm. and so it's got to be different, right? Uh-huh. Um, but but yeah, it, it is a challenge. How do I get seen? And you know, for the you know for the guys who are playing in the, uh, certain neighborhoods of Long Island and and uh, Baltimore, it's pretty easy because we're going to the Gilman game. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to the uh, the Garden City High School lacrosse game, right? You know, but for for most of the rest of us, you know, uh, even if you're in a, a relatively strong hotbed, and especially if you're not, if you're if you're in an outlier region. You know, that club travel team has become uh, become hugely valuable, and right. uh, um, but um, yeah, so it's a uh, but you know we'll find you one way or the other, whether it's through film, live, you know, a, a high school coach or club coach calling us and saying, hey, you got to check this guy out. Mm-hmm. There's multiple ways to be to be noticed in, in these days and ages. So you don't have to do them all. You don't have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, but uh, you know, uh, and the nice thing is you don't have to do it until sophomore summer right that that's so key yeah so it, it sounds like it sounds like the overarching thing was what you said in the beginning is like you know just make sure that you're having fun enjoy the game play your best you'll get discovered mm-hmm. exactly right. right uh so you know final question before the question i ask everybody else what um if you were talking to a kid right now who said you know i know that i want to come to uva lacrosse what do i got to do to get there what what, what would you say to them What would I say to them? And let's what's the, what's the age of this imaginary person? Let's say let's say they're in ninth grade and they say you know they know I want to play lacrosse at UVA. What do I have to do to get there? What what's your advice for for that person? Right, and this is uh, <laughs> with with that new interval legislation. I'm actually I'm just sending <laughs> thoughts to this person. I actually can't talk to them. Let's say I can't even yeah. tell them back. I can't even write them, but I can't even tell the club coach to send this note along to them. That's what's crazy. (laughs) That's right. Actually, I I didn't even think about this. Is this, is, is this hypothetical situation breaking any recruiting rules right now? (laughs) Right now. And, and we're all good here in this, uh, theoretical aura, uh, atmosphere here. So we're fine here, but I would, the, the first and foremost, I would say, I, I keep playing if you're having fun. Keep playing the summer lacrosse and doing those extra travel teams if you're really enjoying it. 
Um, if you if you're losing a passion for all the sexual across, don't do it. Don't mm-hmm. do it. You know, don't force yourself down that road. You know, uh, I would say keep playing other sports. Um, most of the best lacrosse players in college lacrosse played other sports. Mm-hmm. And the specialization that you must have, you know, when you're watching the Winter Olympics or the Summer Olympics, you know, with the gymnastics or uh, the figure skating, that's not our sport. <laughs> you know, you, you don't need to be that technically sound. And you learn a lot from playing basketball. Right. You learn a lot from playing soccer that transfers to lacrosse. Mm-hmm. And there's tremendous amounts of um, value to growing as a, as a leader if you're leading other teams. And I just don't know if your fall lacrosse team, the league you're in, if the results are that critical right. and if it's that intense. Right. So, uh, right. so that, that would be a big, another thing I would say. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Get the best coaching you can. Go out there and get the best coaching you can. It's, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's vital. There are some really, really great coaches out there. And, um, and, and really listen to them. It's so easy for us to bring our, bring our skill sets to a practice, a game, a tournament, and focus in on those skill sets, what I do well. You know, the old, oh, I'm not good at math. Well, if you continue to say that your whole life, you're never going to be good at math. Right. You know, uh, I don't have a, you know, my left hand's not very good. Okay. So we're just, that's, that's a fixed mindset, uh, and that's done. That's, it's over. Yep. You, you, you don't have a left hand. You know, can you keep an open mind? Can you, can you endure the pain of watching yourself pass left-handed and people going, oh, my God, where's this ball going? Can you endure that? Mm-hmm. You know, and just with all the reps on the wall and all the reps with the coach or a buddy or your, your, your parent. And so all of a sudden, your left hand is becoming something that you can rely upon. Right. And um, so just really hammering those, those, those other skills that, you know, that you're just not good at. And right. accepting that. And knowing how much time and effort it's going to take to get better at it. Right. Right. You know, I, you, you saying that, it makes me think about when, um, you know, when I was a kid, when I first started playing lacrosse, uh, my dad almost uh, pretty much forced me to go on the left side of the field because he wanted to make sure <laughs> that I developed my left hand. And I hated it. I, I, I couldn't stand, you know, I just wanted to put the stick in my right hand. And also other kids on the team would yell at me when I would make left-handed passes, because exactly like you said, it would go all over the place, right? And then by the time I was recruited, you know, I remember my, uh, for Inside Lacrosse, the little blurb that it said about me the year that I was a freshman in college, it says, is he righty? Is he lefty? Yes. Like the fact that I was able to go through all that pain, you, you just realize like if you force yourself through it, it's gonna become second nature. And I, I think you said it where, you need to have a growth mindset. You can't have a fixed mindset where like, oh, I'm not good at math. Oh, I'll never have a left hand. Once you have that, you're right. Once you think that you can't do something, you're right. But if you think you can, you'll get there. So I like that. I like that a lot. Um, uh, yeah, you're, you're a classic example of a, of a growth mindset. And, right. And, or, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. So listen, I, I don't want to keep you too much longer. You know, uh, you've been really generous with your time. I really do appreciate it. There's one question that I've asked every, everybody who's come on, uh, regardless, this can be outside of lacrosse. What are three things everyone should be doing every day 
to get better it is to get better at whatever it is they do. All of us talking about social media, little you know, uh, little six second tweets or Instagram mm-hmm. chat notes, whatever. I mean, you know, grab a newspaper, right? You know, um, grab a book. Fall asleep reading a book. You, you'll sleep better. You'll fall asleep faster. You won't be looking at a blue screen. Mm-hmm. And and guess what? You'll be expanding your vocabulary. Yeah, you'll be a better critical thinker. And don't we all want more brain power? I, I very few of us, <laughs> I think, walk around the planet wishing we had less brain power. Right. Um, so just read. It's uh, you know, and, and if you're not a big reader now, then find subjects that are you know of, of real interest. Mm-hmm. You know, and if, if lacrosse and math are the only two things you like, well, all right, well, we'll find some books about you know people who are really good mathematicians or about lacrosse. You know, the, the right. game of lacrosse, the history of the game. That's fine. And then guess what? I bet it'll grow from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's my biggest thing. And, uh, the second is, you know, the, the, the physical challenge. What, what did you do physically today? Now I'm not saying you have to work out every day, you know, a very good friend of mine, Joel Barici, the head coach, uh, up at army. He yeah. has not missed a workout in I think like six years now, but, um, <laughs> every day, um, there, there can be days of rest. I'm okay with some days of rest, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe even on a rest day, you're stretching. You know, uh, you're going to see the trainer if you're a college athlete and uh, rolling out or hitting the bike for 15 minutes just to get your legs loose. You know, right. what what are you what are you physically doing? You know, and aside from being a sick with the flu where you can't move and you got to stay in bed um, or you're recovering from your tonsils coming out, you know, trying to find something, whether it's, you know, just shooting baskets. You know, did you shoot, did you shoot free throws for 30 minutes? Um, did you shoot a lacrosse ball? Did you, did you go, did you start lifting if I'm talking about 16 years and older? Right. You know, and, um, you know, uh, you run around and just have fun. You mm-hmm. know, it's, that physical component is so critical. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the third thing I would say every day is think about what you're, what you're eating. It's, um, you, you hear, you hear it from uh, mom and dad, you hear it from your, from your teachers and your coaches, but it, it's there. The experts are telling you the highest level Navy SEAL special ops. They think seriously about their nutrition Right. And hydration. And it makes a difference. It right. really does. So think about what you're putting in your body. Um, if you grew up, uh, you know, with a very simple taste, you know, taste buds and, and you really try to avoid certain foods, well, it's time to grow up and put the big boy pants on, big girl pants on, and start mm-hmm. eating, eating those other things and eating some, some different types of vegetables. Right. Um, for, <laughs> nutritionist, for nutrition value, um, you know, put the potato chips and the sodas down. And right. Really think about what you put in your body, and think about yourself as an elite athlete, mm-hmm. and how would an elite athlete fuel their machine? What kind of octane do you put in a race car? I bet it's different than your Ford pickup truck. Okay. Mm-hmm. Think about what you're fueling your machine with. Right. Right. Coach, listen that that was great. I, I listen. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, thanks so much. Good luck this weekend. Um, I'm sure that we'll definitely have you back on the show. And I would actually love to have some of the assistant coaches on the show as well. But I can't thank you enough for taking the time today. And uh, we'll talk again soon. So I'm. Uh, I feel to be the lucky one to have a chance to spend some time with you talking and uh, and sharing our philosophies. And uh, yeah, I hope you continue to have more Virginia lacrosse coaches on your show. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Yavoli. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Yavoli. 
You can find more episodes of the Game Changer Lacrosse podcast on this season at thisseason.gc.com. If you like the podcast, please take a second to give it a positive review on iTunes. This helps more people find the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports. And if you're a coach, a parent, or you run a traveler club team, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. It's an essential all-in-one scheduling and communication app for lacrosse coaches and parents. Game Changer Team Manager is free, it's easy to use, and it doesn't serve ads. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager. Until next time, keep working and keep getting better.